Welcome to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a stimulating discussion of news and humor from a Jewish perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Rabbi Mendy. Good morning, Shavua Tov. I hope you had an amazing week. And I bless you to have an amazing week ahead. There's always a lot going on. But this week is special for me. As it is my Yom Huledet. It's my birthday. It's the day when I'm reminded that God put me in this world because I have a mission, I have something important to achieve, and that the world, no one in the world, can achieve that mission which was placed upon me. So I, I talked a lot about birthdays already a couple of weeks ago because it turns out that this month of Sivan, the Hebrew month of Sivan, is loaded with birthdays in the Kievman family, on both sides of the Kievman family. That means on my side of the family and on Rachi's side of the family, we have uh, birthdays. Well, obviously, I talked about birthdays on Rachi's birthday or just before Rachi's birthday about three weeks ago. And then I spoke about it last week when it was my father's birthday, last Sunday, and... Now, again, my birthday is coming up on this coming uh, Wednesday, the 23rd day in the month of Sivan. My niece's birthday, Chayla, was on uh, this past uh, Wednesday, the 17th of uh, Sivan. My brother, Rabbi Yossi from Mansfield, has a birthday on Thursday, the 24th of Sivan. That's right, we're one day apart. My mother... Zalzayin Gesund has a birthday on Shabbos, which is the 26th of Sivan. And today is the birthday of my nephew, Mendel Kievman from New York. That's the son of Shimon and Mushka. Their son's birthday um, is today. So, I may have missed a birthday. Oh, my, 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 my brother-in-law, Rachi's brother, Mendy, his birthday is on the 10th of Sivan. So we got a lot of birthdays. I know I, I, I overstated the birthdays here, but good shout-out for good reasons. Um, 
may we all be blessed with a shnas hatzlacha, with a year of success, goodness and kindness, nachas, and may Hashem fulfill each of us, our heart's desires for goodness, not just regular goodness, but revealed goodness, goodness that we can feel and touch. So, I won't talk much about birthdays today, because I already uh, talked a lot about that a few weeks ago. But I do want to mention that on a birthday, one of the customs, there's actually 10 unique customs um, to do before, on, and after your birthday, including helping another person, including giving extra charity, extra tzedakah, including studying more, one of the amazing customs of a birthday is to have a fabrengen. A fabrengen is loosely translated as gathering together. It's a Yiddish word brought to you by Kate's Financial Services. And it means coming together. Breng is to come, is, is, to, is to bring, and, and far is for. So you're for bringing. You're bringing people together for a purpose. And the purpose is to inspire each other and and it's, it's, it's a custom that every year on your birthday, you should invite friends and family for a fabrengen, for a, a moment of, of inspiration and spirituality. And at a fabrengen, at the bare minimum, we should have, of course, some food. You should have some l'chaim. And do one of the three, not one of the three, all of the three uh, pillars that hold uh, the world up. The Mishnah tells us that the world stands on three things. Torah, the study of Torah, prayer, meditation, and tzedakah, charity. So on a birthday, make a fabring and invite your friends and, and make sure to do those three things. Someone should say over a word of Torah, a, an insight, either from the Parsha or from our website or any topic that you'd like. As I mentioned many times, you go to our website, gatchabad.com, and you'll find loads of uh, information on, on any topic you want to ask about. You just type it into the search engine, and you'll be able to speak about anything in under a second. You'll have tens of pages about any topic that interests you. So when you have a birthday, bring your family and friends together, study some Torah, Make sure to say a prayer and make sure that everyone gives some charity. You can have a pushka. And like we do here every Sunday, you can take a coin and give everyone a coin or let them give their own money to uh, tzedakah and put it in the pushka. So this Wednesday is my birthday, which means that it begins on Tuesday evening. And usually we have our Torah studies class every week on Thursday evening. So what we did was we're switching it up a little bit. And our Torah studies class will take place this week on um, Tuesday evening. So Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, we'll have our Torah studies class. Together with our Torah studies class, will be the Fabrengen. And we invite everyone to join us. If you'd like to join us, send me an email, rabbi at gatchabad.com. And we'll have, of course, refreshments and some l'chaims. But on top of that, it was decided on Shabbos that being that uh, one of our community members Bracha will be in Worcester anyway. So whoever would like to have dinner um, on Tuesday night, and you're asking me, what does 
bracha going to Worcester have to do with having dinner? Well, the answer is this. In Worcester, there's this amazing kosher takeout place called Khani's Deli. Great food with all kinds of deli and other foods, Chinese dishes, etc. And they have a website with um, their menu. And she offered to go pick up food for anyone. So if you want to uh, take part and have dinner that night. So if you want to join us, just join us. Send me an email. Tell me you're joining us. If you'd also like to have dinner that night, um, in your email, send it. let me know and I'll send you the um, menu the link to the website with the menu, and you can order whatever it is your heart desires for yourself, for your family. Either way, I'd love to celebrate with you on Tuesday evening. And if you can't make it and you want to celebrate nonetheless, please lift up a glass at home and with some l'chaim and uh, toast a l'chaim uh, to me for my birthday. And by extension, toast a l'chaim to yourself that um, you should have all of the blessings Hashem should pour down upon you whatever your heart desires. Okay. Hopefully you have a yarmulke nearby for the guys. Put on a yarmulke. And um, we're going to get together and say the Shema. And then we're going to say a blessing on our drinks. If you have a drink handy, a cup of coffee, or water, or even l'chaim. I mean, after all... I know while over here it's you know, about you know nine minutes after ten, there are some places in the world that it's already you know nine minutes after five. So anyway, it's a, uh, a wonderful day today, and also happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. You deserve a special day every day, as we know in Jewish tradition, honoring our parents is one of the most important. Tenants, in fact, so much so, it's in the Ten Commandments that we read on, on the holiday of Shuris. So, uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and happy Father's Day every day to all the fathers out there. Okay, put the yarmulke on your head, and let's join together. Chani is here in the studio with me to say the Shema. Cover your eyes. Here we go. Let's do it loud and clear. Shema. Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kevayt Bachusai La'aylam Va'ed That was beautiful. Thank you very, very much. Meanwhile, could you look for a coin while I say the bracha on the drink? I have a nice hot coffee here. You can look for some coins there. We can say, put in tzedakah. Lift up your glass and say it together with me. Baruch, Ata, Adonai, Eloheinu, Melech, Ha'olam, Shehakol, Nihiyah, Bidvaro. Ah, there's nothing like a nice hot drink in the morning. Okay, now, we found the coins, we got the coins, if you have a pushka, please grab a couple of coins, oh, you got a coin for me, point here, put your coin inside the pushka, and make a little noise, yeah, I like the noise of a pushka, I feel like the noise of the pushka is announcing something amazing that's going to happen today, amazing that's going to happen this week, you know, talking about Jewish symbols, last week we talked about Jewish symbols, and I I said we would talk about uh, the yarmulke, we didn't have time to talk about it. You know, 
The Yiddish word for the day should be yarmulke. Well, first, I want to tell you a story. You know, a rabbi was once walking down the street on his way to Shul, and the wind blew his hat off of his head. And as much as he would like to catch his hat, the wind was faster than he could... The wind blew his, his hat faster down the street than he was able to run. You know, rabbis are, are notoriously in shape, right? And look at me, you know. And his hat kept blowing and he couldn't, he couldn't catch it. And there was, a, you know, a Gentile guy walking on, on the other side of the street. And he saw what was going on. He was, of course, in shape. And he ran after the hat, grabbed the hat, and returned it to the rabbi. The rabbi was so happy. And he said to the guy, you know, I want to thank you so much. There was no way I would have been able to catch my hat on my own. I want to bless you that God should bless you today and always. The man is thinking to himself, I've just been blessed by the rabbi. This must be my lucky day. So he decides, you know, what else is he going to do? He goes to the racetrack. And the first race, he sees a horse by the name of Stetson. He says, Stetson, it's the name of a hat. You know, he takes a few dollars at five bucks. And it's, even though it was a 20 to 1 horse, he bets the five dollars, and sure enough, the horse comes in first. So he sees, wow, it seems like this hat thing with the rabbi's blessing is really working. So in the second race, he sees a horse named Fedora. And this horse was 30 to 1. So he bets even more money. And this horse comes in first again. Finally, after a day wasted at the... Uh, racetrack he comes home and his wife says where have you been all day he says well the whole story you won't believe it the rabbi's hat was flying down the street i caught the hat the rabbi blessed me and then i thought ah, i'll go to the racetrack and i started winning on horses and each horse that i won on had a hat in their name so she says wow you must be wealthy where's the money so well tell you the truth I lost all the money in the ninth race because I bet on a horse named Chateau and it lost. And Chateau in French means a hat. His wife says, you're an idiot. You're a Meshuggah. She spoke Yiddish. I don't know. You're a Meshuggah. Chateau doesn't mean hat. Chateau means a house. Chapeau is a hat. Oh, now I understand why I lost. She says, no. What was the name of the, of the uh, horse that won? He says, you won't believe it. The horse that won was some, had some Japanese name, Yamaka. Bada boom. So that leads us into the Yiddish word of the day today, brought to you by Kate's Financial Services, Yamaka. Now, Yamaka spelled in Japanese would probably be Y-A-M-A-K-A. That sounds Japanese enough. But... Yamulka is really Yarmulka, as, as we'll explain. I'm going to just give you a bunch of factoids that you may know. Some of them I'm sure you know, but I bet you some of these you never knew before. So firstly, while Yamulka is the Yiddish word for the head covering, the typical Hebrew word is kippa. A kippa means a dome. So Yamulka and kippa... Remember, it's not yarmulke, it's yarmulke, but said, you can say yarmulke if you want. Yarmulke and kippah are intertwined all the time. You can use either of the words. 
And it's a, it's a head covering traditionally worn by Jewish men and boys. And it's a sign of reverence and respect of God. Besides kippah and besides yarmulke, many Yiddish-speaking people might also refer to it as a kapel. Kapel means like a, a little cap. It's a Yiddish word and a kapel is a little cap. Where does the word yarmulke come from? Do you know? That's why I say it's not yarmulke without an R. It's got to have the R in there because it actually, its origins is in the Aramaic word brought to you by Peter Hoffman in Aramaic, yare malka. Two words. It's a, it's a combo word. Two words. Yare malka, which means awe of the king. The king referring to God. Yare means fear or awe. And Malka is the king. In, in Hebrew, Malka is a queen. In Aramaic, Malka is a king. It's spelled slightly different. It sounds the same, but spelled differently. Why is it? Why do we wear a yarmulke? And what does that have to do with the king? Because wearing a yarmulke reminds us that there's a higher being above us. See, wearing a yarmulke helps us remember that there's a higher being that not just that there's a higher being, but that, that to that higher being, we are held accountable to. And wearing a yarmulke is required by Jewish law for a number of reasons. Some of them are because there's reasons of modesty and also to distinguish ourselves as Jews, as Yidin, reminding us of our responsibility and privilege as members of the chosen nation. Now, what the, how does a yarmulke, what is a yarmulke? What's it made up of? The truth is, kippahs come in any color. They come in a whole variety of sizes, materials, designs. The, you know, when I was growing up, almost all the yarmulkes were made out of velvet. Sometimes you saw them out of suede or leather. Obviously, there's ones made out of knitted. Then you have the, the yarmulkes you get at funerals that are made out of satin or something like that. And you have silk yarmulkes and you have, you know, all kinds of yarmulkes of any kind of material. And you can go into many stores and you can have a yarmulke personalized. They can embroider all sorts of images and words. It's not uncommon to see children wearing yarmulkes with their names on it or other important messages about the coming of Mashiach. Now, if you, you may have noticed, there are many communities that over the years have developed keeper designs that are really intricate um, 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 works of art. M- most often, you see those kippahs coming from Jewish uh, artists in Yemen or other uh, Gruzina, Georgian uh, countries. Now, today's day, most of them live in Israel. But that's where the yarmulkes, those intricate artistic yarmulkes came from. When should you wear a yarmulke? So the Talmud tells us the truth is you should wear a yarmulke all the time. All day, all night. So much so, the Talmud mentions that a person shouldn't walk four cubits without a, a, a covering on their head. Four cubits is the distance of roughly six feet. But obviously, even someone who doesn't wear a yarmulke all the time should definitely wear a yarmulke during prayer, when reciting a blessing, or even walking into a shul, walking into a synagogue.
Now, where, does, where did it come from? Do you know where the, the custom of wearing a yarmulke came from? So there's a, a, a story told in the Talmud in which a woman was told by astrologers that her son was destined to become a thief. So she was thinking of a way to avoid this from you know, coming to fruition. So she insisted that he keep his head covered at all times and this will remind him of God's presence and instill within him the fear of heaven, the awe of heaven. Now once, while he was sitting under a palm tree, his head covering fell off. And all of a sudden, the Talmud tells us, he was overcome by a burning desire to steal fruit from the tree which did not belong to him. And it was at that moment that he realized that it was the strong effect of wearing a kippah, of wearing the yarmulke that held him back from the inclination he had for kleptomania. Now in certain, company, uh, in certain communities, the custom is to wear these very big, large, tall kippahs that literally cover the entire head from the front to the back. You may see this in old pictures of rabbis, the Litvak rabbis, Lithuanian scholars, you know, where they have such big black yarmulkes literally go across almost like a, a big cap on their head. But also, the very famously, the Bukharian Jews, you see them a lot in New York or, or in Israel, they have these very large, colorful yarmulkes, very intricate and with beautiful embroidery that also go across their entire head. Women typically don't wear kippahs or yarmulkes. And one reason is because the kippah, as we said before, is to remind us of God's presence. But women who are more spiritually intuitive and they possess more powerful faith, they don't require the constant reminder. Now, that has nothing to do with the fact that married women do cover their heads, not with a kippah, and obviously it's for completely different reasons that they cover their heads. Now what should you do with a yarmulke when it's done? When you're done with it, it's old, it, it wore out. If you wear a yarmulke every day, it's going to wear out at a certain point. So now you know, or if you don't, I'm going to tell you, that prayer books and other sacred objects, when they become worn out or unusable, you can't throw it out. You can't put it in the garbage. It's holy. It was used for holy, uh, uh, for holy reasons. Instead, out of respect for the sanctity of the prayer book or the Chumash, the Bible, you bury it in a Jewish cemetery. Now, despite the Kippah's special role in Jewish life, it does not possess any inherent holiness. And for that reason... Two things. Number one is you can wear a kippah in a bathroom. You know, you're not allowed to take a prayer book in the bathroom. You can't take other holy objects into the bathroom. But a kippah can be worn in the bathroom. And also, a kippah can be discarded and replaced with another one. Now, you may have noticed that many in the Hasidic community or others wear a hat besides the yarmulke. And you wonder, hey, he's wearing a yarmulke. Why is he wearing another extra covering, another hat on top of that? And that's usually done during prayer or um, doing certain mitzvahs. The reason for that is because wearing a hat is viewed as an act of respect. Kabbalistically, 
we're told that whenever doing a mitzvah, you have to be extra respectful. If you're praying, you have to have an extra hat on your head. So whether it's a hat or you're wearing a talus on your head, because, you know, even not too long ago, and, and now it's coming back, it's back in, in, in style, men didn't go out in public without wearing a hat. So it became custom that you should always wear a hat. But also, Kabbalistically, a hat reminds us of the special hat worn by the uh, Kohanim. The Kohen in the temple wore a special hat. You might want to call it a turban. The Kohen had one kind of hat. The, the um, high priest had another kind of hat. So to be reminiscent of the fact that when we are doing our service every day, we are like the Kohen. We are similar to the Kohen doing extra special mitzvahs. Therefore, we also wear a hat additional to the yarmulke on top of our head. I want to conclude this by telling you a, a, an amazing story that happened not too long ago, maybe 200 years ago, just under 200 years ago. There were two brothers who owned a very famous printing house in the town of Slavita. It was Rabbi Pinchas and Shmuel Abba Shapiro. The Shapiro brothers were known, they, many of the printed books we have from 200 years ago come from these two brothers. They printed it. And they were hated. I mean, it doesn't take a lot for anti-Semitism to rear its ugly head. But they were successful, so they were hated because of that. And they were falsely accused of murder. And they were arrested by the Tsarist police in 1839. And as punishment for the crime they didn't do, they were forced to run the gauntlet, which means that they run and, and, and they get whipped by these burly men. I don't know if that's the right word, but probably it sounds like a word that they were. They were probably burly men. So while they were being led through the two rows of vicious soldiers, Rabbi Shmuel Abba, one of the brothers, Rabbi Shmuel Abba's yarmulke fell off. His keeper fell off. Most people would have said, wow, this beating is terrible. I got to continue running. Otherwise, I... no, no, no. He stopped while the beating was going on and refused to continue running until he picked up his yarmulke and then continued running. That story became very, very public. And in fact, even though the Russian Jewish community, many people felt it was really hard to wear a kippah in public, nonetheless, many more people started wearing the yarmulkes on a regular basis because of that amazing story of these two brothers. So there you have it. The Yiddish word for the day, Yarmulke. Now you know where it comes from. You know what it means. You know that it's interwoven or interspersed with the word kippah or couple. And now you know that, guys, it's not such a big deal. You're not running the gauntlet. You can wear a Yarmulke every day. It wouldn't be a good segment on Yarmulke if we didn't end with 8th Day's Yarmulke song.
whore to the circus And I wear it in the rain I got my yarmulke on my mind I wear my yarmulke all the time That's my tip I wear it sophisticated I wear it insane I wear it Miami Beach And I wear it Ukraine Wear it in a rhythm I wear it in a tune I wear it on my mama's porch And I wear it silver spoon Mama got my yarmulke on my mind I wear my yarmulke all the time It's like a helmet No soldier with me That's not spaghetti. That's my senses. Who got the yamaka on the mind? I got the yamaka all the time. Who got the yamaka on the mama I got the yamaka on my mama sitter. Who with the yamaka all the time? Sit I with the yamaka all the time. I say I'm hungry when I eat it up. I say I got when I drink it up. I say shema when I sleep it up. I say mudani when I wake it up. In, in, the, in the constant discussion about Jewish objects and symbols, you ever wonder why the menorah is such an important symbol in Judaism? It's the uh, logo at many Chabad houses. You see menorahs up in front of synagogues. Menorah represents Judaism. But there are many important mitzvahs in Judaism. We talked about yarmulke. At some point, we'll talk about a talit, a talis. <clears throat> There's matzah. There's so many mitzvahs. The Megillah, the Torah, even the tablets, the luchos, are not as well represented as the menorah. What is so special? What is so enduring about the symbol of the menorah? So let's first talk about where the menorah comes from, because we actually talked about it in the Torah portion yesterday. When the Jews built the traveling temple known as the Mishkan in the desert, it was after they left Egypt, after they worshipped the golden calf, it was after Moses broke the tablets and God forgave the Jews and he said, now I want you to build this traveling temple where I will dwell. To show that God forgave the Jewish people, he said, I will dwell within the temple wherever you are. First it traveled and then eventually was built on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. 
So in that temple, as we read yesterday, the Kohanim, the, the priests, were commanded to prepare a seven-branch candelabra, a menorah, that was to be lit every single day within the uh, holy section of the temple. And this idea of lighting the menorah lasted, in, uh, lighting the menorah in the temple lasted for some 1,500 years. There were some breaks in the middle, but first in the, in the traveling temples, and then eventually on the temples at, uh, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Obviously, in between the destruction of the temples, there was no lighting of the menorah in the temple, but we always lit the menorah. So the, the partial we read yesterday begins with the instruction to Aaron to light the menorah every single day. Where does that come from? It actually comes from, it's a continuation from last week's portion. Because in last week's portion, when they were inaugurating this temple, each of the princes, the heads of each tribe, brought a sacrifice every day. All 12 tribes, besides the tribe of Levi. And Aaron, who was the leader of the tribe of Levi, was a little bit upset. He felt, why was our tribe not included in the, in the pomp and ceremony of this sacrificial inauguration of the temple? So in response, God assured Aaron that in the merit of lighting the flames of the menorah was so much greater than the merit of even the sacrifices. Because the sacrifices would end as soon as the destruction of the temple happened, many years later, but it would end. But the menorah's flames will endure forever. Because even during exile, the Jewish people will continue lighting menorahs, not the seven branches in the temple, but the eight branches of the menorah that we do every Hanukkah. When we're celebrating what? We're celebrating the oil menorah that was in the temple. On a deeper level, the menorah teaches us how to ensure Jewish continuity. The menorah represents Jewish continuity through education. Because the essential function of a menorah is that it should be a place or a space for a flame to shine. We know that the flame represents the soul. And a soul is mandated with the mission of bringing the godly light and the warmth of God to this very materialistic, dark and cold world. But aside from the impact that one single flame has on its surroundings, through its light and through its warmth, every flame can also create more flames. And if you think about it, there are actually three crucial details about this phenomena which teaches us everything we need to know about Jewish education and Jewish continuity. You know, on Shabbos we were talking about how so many Jewish children are uh, feeling disenfranchised from their Hebrew schools because all they hear about when they think about Judaism, they hear about, on one end, you hear about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism and how everyone hates Israel. That's not a very exciting Yiddishkeit or not a very exciting Judaism to be part of. The kids who come to Chabad Hebrew school are studying about what it means about the joy, not the oy of Yiddishkeit. So many people grew up in their Hebrew schools learning about the oy of Judaism. We want to teach the children about the joy of, of Judaism. Anyway, so let's, here goes. Let's learn from the flames three things about Jewish continuity 
and Jewish education. See, when one flame lights another flame, the intended purpose is for the new flame to be completely independent. And the purpose of education is to create confident and self-sufficient Jews who in turn can educate and inspire others. Lesson number two. Flames are infinite. There's no limit to how many flames one flame can light. We talked about this also on Shabbos. Ner le'echad, ner le'mea. Here's the Hebrew word for they brought to you by the Armenians. It's actually a saying, a very famous saying. Ner is a candle or a flame. Ner le'echad means a flame for one. Ner le'mea, a flame for a hundred. Echad is one. Mea is a hundred. Ner le'echad, ner le'mea. You know what that means? If you have a flame for one person, that same flame can be effective for a hundred people. When you turn on the light, or you light a fire for warmth for one person, many more people can benefit from that exact same light. It's not like when more people walk into the room, you have to turn on more lights. Or you have to put on a, a, a bigger fire. The room gets warm, it'll be warm for everybody. The light is turned on, it'll be light for everyone. Similarly, a flame can ignite many other flames. As our sages proclaim, you shall educate many students. The Mishnah in Pirkei tells us you have to educate many students. There's no quota how many people you're obligated to inspire and guide in a proper direction. And as Shmuley pointed out Friday night when we were talking about this concept of ner le'echad, ner le'mea, if you know Aleph, teach Aleph. Every one of us knows something. And if you know something, you can teach and inspire someone else. You can't say, eh, what do I know? I barely made it through Hebrew school. I got thrown out of Hebrew school. Not many people told me that. They got thrown out of Hebrew school every single week. But yet, they have an inspiration within them. They have the flame of Yiddishkeit within them. You can inspire others with that passion for Yiddishkeit that you have. So no matter how many people you've um, formally mentored or informally mentored, doesn't matter. You can always seize the opportunity to educate and inspire more. And the third lesson is the flame is never diminished as a result of sharing the fire with other wicks. No matter how many flames one flame ignites, it never weakens or dims. You would think if you're taking a flame from the fire, it should get less. It doesn't. That's because inspiring others can sometimes seem that it will detract from our own personal growth. After all, if you're spending time and you're spending effort on caring for others, that means there's less time spent on caring for yourself. Flames teach us that someone who focuses on inspiring others never loses out. And therefore, the menorah is the icon of Judaism and it's the icon of inspiration and education because education is the secret recipe to Jewish continuity. So when the federations, the CJPs, the JCRCs all sit and talk about how are they going to have Jewish continuity, make sure that the children are celebrating Judaism with joy, not with oy. Make sure they're going to the right Hebrew school where they're learning about it and make sure the parents, and for us parents, we have to make sure, especially on a day like Father's Day, it's a good time to take on a resolution to make sure that our children are enjoying Yiddishkeit in our homes.
with joy. It's not like, oh, I got to go to Shul to Shabbos. What a pain. Yeah, if that's how you, you look at going to Shul, what do you think your kids are going to look at it? But if it's, yeah, we're going to Shul on Shabbos, or we're so excited, we're going to Israel, or we're going to be, there's a class, there's a Thursday night class. I take part in that class because I love my Yiddishkeit. I give tzedakah every day because I love to be a Jew. I put on tefillin, I light Shabbos candles, I wear a yarmulke, whatever the mitzvah is you do. When your kids see you're excited about it, then they're excited too. Anyway, talking about education, continuity, Chani is still here and she wants to sing with us a very, very important song, which is known as To Love a Fellow Jew. Here we go. To love a fellow Jew, cross the same as you, is the basis of our holy Torah. He may be far from me, across the widest sea. But still I always love him just the same. For 70, 80 years, Neshama wears and tears. Just to do a favor for another. Love him with all your heart. The heavens spread apart. For every Jew is really our brother. Sister! Love him with all your heart. The heavens spread apart For every Jew is really our brother Sister! Oh yes, no question about that Connie has it down pat Brother and sister Okay, you know, I don't know if I did this last week But I promised I was going to The tune for the Rebbe's Capital, The one we sing every single Shabbos Wake up Yidin, enjoy the music Last week, there was a big discussion in Shul about when should a parent start bar or bat mitzvah lessons. And obviously, we talked about how bar or bat mitzvah lessons really begins at birth or even before, before birth because that's when every moment, every opportunity we have as parents to teach our children about our, their connection to God and to their fellow human beings is another opportunity to train them 
for their bar mitzvah. Because that's what a bar mitzvah is. A bar mitzvah is the day when you become a man, or a bat mitzvah is the day you become a woman, for a girl at 12, for a boy at 13. And what that means is that you become responsible to God, to family, and to humanity. And so I saw the, heard this beautiful story told over by Rabbi Pinchas uh, Kron, Rabbi Pesach Kron, I'm sorry, Rabbi Pesach Kron, uh, about the Rebbe and a young Bar Mitzvah boy. And it's unbelievable how the Rebbe was able to relate to this young Bar Mitzvah boy's um, understanding and where he was holding. In other words, the Rebbe reached out to this young boy just before his Bar Mitzvah at the level that he was out. Enjoy. So I want to tell you a great story. A great story. A little story, but it is so powerful as you will see in a moment. Many years ago, in the early 1950s, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Nachman Mendel Schneerson, became the Rebbe. Now, in the 1950s, he wasn't as popular as he was later on. So not many, many people went to see him every day. So he had more time to speak to the people that came. So, of course, he was in Brooklyn. And there was a modern father who lived in Brooklyn who had a son that was about to have a bar mitzvah. So he decided he's going to bring his son to the Rebbe to get a blessing, to get a bracha before the bar mitzvah. So the Rebbe greets them and he tells them to be seated and they get into a conversation. And when they get into a conversation, the Rebbe asked the little boy a question. The father was so surprised that the Rebbe would even be interested. He said to him, are you interested in sports? The boy said, yeah. He said, what's your favorite sport? He said, baseball. He said, do you follow a certain team? Now, they were in Brooklyn. He said, yeah, the Dodgers. In the 1950s, the Brooklyn Dodgers were there before they moved to Los Angeles. So the Rebbe asked the boy, does your father ever take you to the games? He said, yeah, Rebbe. My father took me to a game a few weeks ago and it was terrible. So the Rebbe said, what do you mean it was terrible? He said, well, the Dodgers were losing in the seventh inning, 10-0, so we just left. So the Rebbe says to the boy, did the players leave as well? <laughs> so the boy says, oh, no, I'm a fan. You know, I could leave. But the players, they got to stay to the end. You know, maybe they could win. But I knew they weren't going to win, so I left. So the Rebbe said, that's the lesson that I'm trying to teach you. You see, you're a bar mitzvah boy now. And you're excited that you're counted in the minion, that you're putting on tefillin, that you're doing mitzvahs. But you know, after a while, sometimes the enthusiasm wanes and the excitement wears off. So I want to give you advice. Just remember, all your life, be a player, don't be a fan. Imagine the Rebbe telling that to the little boy. Be a player, don't be a fan. In other words, you got to hang in there. I want to take this opportunity to remind you that the calendar, the annual calendar we send to the community, which gets sent to thousands of Jewish homes and businesses throughout the greater Milford and Metro West area, is going to go to print soon. And we want you to take part in the calendar. You can get a date in the calendar. That's right. You remember you got the calendar in the mail last year and you say, wow, where did they make this beautiful calendar? How did they mail it and send it for free? We don't charge any money and that's because 
of people like you. Every person who puts an ad in the calendar, and the ad doesn't have to be necessarily for a business, although it can be for a business too. It could be an ad, uh, uh, you know, wishing the community well at Hanukkah, at Purim, at, at, uh, at Rosh Hashanah. It could be an ad, uh, you know, um, uh, congratulating Chabad for the amazing work that Chabad does in the community. But also, you can personalize the calendar to have every one of your family's life cycle events in the calendar on the date of, of its occurrence. You could put it on the date in the, in the secular calendar date, or you could put it on the Hebrew date in the calendar. That's right, you put in the information, and we can put birthdays, your birthdays, your children's birthdays, your grandchildren's birthdays, your parents' birthdays, yard sites, anniversaries, and it'll be listed on the day. So not only will it be a reminder for you, and you'll never forget your mother-in-law's birthday if it's in the calendar, but also the whole community will be able to celebrate with you. And lastly, we have an opportunity to add your name to the new, as a, on the New Year greeting page to wish a Shana Tova, a good and sweet year to the entire community. So please go to our website, gachabad.com, and click on the banner that floats across the top where it says, get a date in the community calendar. I also want to remind you about our weekly Torah studies class. Every single Thursday night, besides this week, which is going to be on Tuesday night, as I mentioned, um, Tuesday night, celebrating my birthday. We're going to have a Fabrengen. Again, if you want to take part in this week's Tuesday night class uh, and Fabrengen and as well dinner, please email me, rabbi at gotchabad.com. That's R-A-B-B-I at G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. And lastly, two other th- programs I want to tell you about specifically for the children. Number one is the amazing Hebrew school that Rachi has here at Chabad. Every single week, the children come, you know, with a smile on their face and they leave beaming because of the joy that Rachi imparts, Rachi and the Hebrew school teachers impart on the children about their Yiddishkeit. This past year, the theme was the land of Israel. And the children learned all the ins and outs of the land of Israel, the history of Israel, um, how, the chi- how it came all about, who the, the famous heroes and heroines of the land of Israel. In fact, on Shavuos, we had a beautiful art show with the beautiful paintings and, and um, uh, exhibits that the children made throughout the year about the Holy Land of Israel. Every year is another theme, and every year the children learn about the holidays and learn how to read Hebrew and just learn that it's fun to be a Yid. It's fun to be a Jew. So Hebrew School, also on our website, gotchabad.com, G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D. Click on the link on the top banner. That's one thing I want to tell you about for the kids. Also... Every Shabbos, we have a Shabbos Minions. You know how the Minions, M-I-N-I-O-N-S? I'm not referring about the Minion for the adults, uh, with the davening and the shul. That's yeah, also wonderful. The adults can take part in that. But the children have their own special Minion, you know, the famous uh, cartoon. And it's every Shabbos at 12 p.m. It includes some davening, games, as well as storytelling, songs, and they take part in the lunch. So if you want your children to take part in the special Shabbat, Shabbos Minions program, you must email Rachi before uh, Friday every single week, and then your child can... Well, it's open to anybody. There's no membership. You don't have to be part of the Hebrew school. You don't have to be part of uh, anything. You don't have to be a member any in temple or anything, but you do have to email Rachi each week before uh, you come. That's the form of reservation by emailing. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm really excited that you spent uh, this Sunday morning with me, and I want to wish you all the best. 
especially as it, be, as it is the week of my birthday, as Chani likes to call it, she said to me yesterday, happy birth week. You know, it's wonderful to have the blessings for everybody, but more importantly, it's even more wonderful for me able to be able to bless you with all of the good blessings revealed, happiness, and the most important blessing of all, the revelation of Mashiach now. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, your next deed will change the world, so make it a good one. L'chaim! You've been listening to Sunday Schmooze with Rabbi Mendy Kievman from the Chabad House Jewish Community Center on Cedar Street in Milford. For more information on the Chabad House, including upcoming events, adult programs, Hebrew school, and more, visit gotchabad.com. That's G-O-T-C-H-A-B-A-D.com. Shalom. Have a lovely night, no, 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 no,